Calling all beans, y'all. Let's get it. Welcome back to Calling All Beings. I'm your host, DJ, and this is my brother, Nathan. What's going on, man? What's going on, DJ? Have a good time. Big. Huge. Big. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. We're talking about big. Yeah? Oh, okay. Yeah. Two meatball sandwiches, Utah. Okay? <laughs> yeah. All right. So tonight, uh, backstage, we have our, our uh, producer, Akashi Chris. <sighs> <laughs> And we have a very, very special guest uh, tonight, somebody that uh, I couldn't imagine that would be on. I'm sure Nathan's imagination wasn't that broad either. Uh, but you know what? We're going to do it. So everybody, like, like start to generate up, man, because mm-hmm, this is mm-hmm. what we're talking about. Yes. The author of American Cosmic, right? The professor of religious studies. The brilliant one. Party people, put your hands together for none other than Diana. D.W. Pasilka! Yes! Woo! Put them hands together. Come get some of this, what she's about to give you. Yes! I, I doubt you've had an intro like that uh, thus far. No, I'm like totally <laughs> blushing. The doctor! Incredible. Yes. Yes. The show. She, uh, we're going to bring out to Skinwalker, man. She's going to roll up. She's going to be like... I'm gonna tell. You, let me tell you I'm something. There. <laughs> me yeah, too. I, I'm not gonna go there either. Yeah. I'll be running in my underwear out the front gate, right past the dragon. I'm gonna tell you something, doctor. Your book, uh, your book's amazing. It's probably the most significant work I've read since Clifford the Red Dog. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's share. It's sharing a very, very esteemed part of my bookshelf. So I, that's the company you keep, and I want you to know that. Uh, (laughs) Uh, But what I want to ask you, I actually have a question before I turn this over to Nathan and I go silent. I'm going to go dark. You're just going to say, I'm going to look like one of the shadow people that comes out the wall uh, while this interview. She's like, what? What are you talking about? Um, So what I want to ask you is uh, in the writing in this book, um, one of the things that you you talked about, I don't know if it was in the, uh, the epilogue part of it or during the book is that it was very transformative for Tyler, obviously, which was fascinating. So I'm, I'm curious in your research that led up to this, this uh, beautiful work that you wrote, was it uh, informative? Would you say if you were to characterize it as, Hey, this is very informative or was it transformative for you personally? Oh, I would say it was both. Absolutely. hundred percent both. If I so, yeah, I should have gave an A or a B, and then that way it, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, completely. Um, in well, informative, absolutely, because I learned a lot. Um, transformative, I guess, because I was surprised by what I learned. So, yeah, I was. I mean, how I so? That up. <laughs> yeah, well, no. how transformative? How as, so? it, as you know, from um, the first two months of serious research into the topic. Um, it's almost as if the topic grabbed me and pulled me along. And I was just like, um, I mean, I, I think I was in a sense, 
I mean, it's such a cliche to say, but I was in the matrix. Mm. And this was my, you know, this was yeah, my ripped out of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's pretty much how it happened. Yeah, and it's still the same, by the way. I'm still being informed and transformed simultaneously. I hope that we're gonna we're gonna talk about that tonight because the the, the specter of the matrix and all this is is fascinating to me. Oh, and, yeah. and plus, and, and you know, the next one is coming. So oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it over to the man that you really want to talk to, the man who also when he talks sometimes I get heart bubble emojis just like I got with you. So so go for it, Nathan. Uh, you're too kind. Yeah, so it's great to have you with us on the show. Really looking forward to talking with you. Um, yeah. I know what you're working on, what's coming up on uh, sort of on your plate is something that's dealing with synchronicity and creativity, and I just wanted to say that the first question that I had is actually very similar to the one that DJ just asked, and we did not compare notes. So uh, that was kind of interesting, but I wanted to start off with, um, looking at, uh, the religious studies, uh, angle of, of, of ufology and of the phenomenon and wanted to ask you, were you surprised at the, the, the degree to which you've kind of become elevated as a figure that is kind of closer to the, the quote unquote truth, you know, that if we, if we yeah. were to map, uh, the structure of, let, let's say uh, a church structure or whatnot, a belief structure onto the phenomenon, uh, onto the phenomenon. You know, you have those that are closest to the truth. Those are kind of the disciples. Those are kind of the, um, uh, or the firsthand experiencers. And they are the ones that people look to for information and knowledge. Were you surprised yeah. that you were kind of elevated into that position, uh, after writing this book? Um, Oh, that's really, that's an interesting question. I don't think I'd put the question that way, if you don't mind me kind of rearranging it. Yeah, please go for it. Okay. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> so I get people who email me, right, a lot now mm -hmm. about the research and how do we do this research? You know, a lot of students, a lot of people who are in graduate school, a lot of, you know, uh, scientists, you know, students who are scientists and scientists. And um, some of them are like, how do I do this research? Well, I felt like I had been... It's not necessarily that I was elevated. I think that I wasn't actually particularly looking. Mm -hmm. um, and <laughs> that's how it works. Yeah. So, um, so you know, there was um, basically, um, you basically can't, you can't go out and find it. It mm -hmm. has to actually come to you or you mm -hmm. have to see that it's already here. I think that's the correct way to do it because I certainly didn't search it out. I didn't right. search out any of the people. I read Jacques Vallée's book, right, Passport to Agonia, mm -hmm. and I saw that it was like religious studies. You know, he was doing similar types of historical – he was looking at historical patterns and making these, you know, uh, conclusions. Right. And it looked like my book on purgatory, frankly. And so I reached out to him. So in a sense, yeah, that's kind of similar, you know, maybe mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, you know, but I found that, um, you know, like Tyler searched me out. I didn't search him out. And it took me a while to actually meet him. And then I didn't search out James, you know, mm -hmm. so I just kind of like, I think I had a, a very uh, sincere desire to know. Right. And I think that on some, some, I mean, I'm just going to get super deep with you here. Yeah, go for <laughs> on it. On level, you know, because um, why not, right? I mean, heck. Yeah. Um, so we're here. Yeah. So, you know, 
that's how it works. So here, here's an anecdote to explain it, if I can, because it sounds really convoluted at the moment. Sure. Um, and it's kind of a personal anecdote. I don't think I've ever told anybody this, but um, or I've told people, but never publicly. So um, one of my uh, brothers, when he was young, like 11, mm-hmm. um, had experienced. So we're a family. My father was an attorney and, you know, um, kind of like your normal family, American family. Mm-hmm. And we didn't believe or talk about UFOs or nothing like that. I'd never even seen um, any of Spielberg's films, like none, none of it. And so um, my brother was on a hill riding his bicycle. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, apparently there was a, a big orb that he said, turned around and looked at him and then chased him down as he tried to get away. And um, he came down the hill and threw the bike in the driveway, screaming, running into the house. And my mother and my father, again, completely straight-laced type people who would never think of UFOs, walk outside and see it. Mm. And um, my father thinking, you know, here I'm an attorney, I'm going to call the police, thought they were going going to listen to him and not, <laughs> right? Yeah. But Amazing. they laughed at him, you they know? They laughed, yeah. yeah. And he was like, oh, how can, you know, we saw this, we saw it. And so I remember my family's having this um, experience, but none of us really followed up. We didn't even think about it after that. Like I thought mm. it was course but we never like went remember that time this happened to blah 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 yeah we never did that Mm. when i started to do this research i began to think what the heck was that and so i went and i researched you know something that was at the same time period that this happened and i i looked and looked and looked i knew there had to be there had to be other people who saw it Mm -hmm. because i wanted to corroborate that this actually happened and it wasn't like my family's group hallucination Mm-hmm. And because my mother, after I started to do this research, talked to me about it, too. She said, mm-hmm. I have to describe to you what this was like. And so um, and so what happened was that I, you know, and I started this research in 2012. So now we're in 2019, 2000, you know, yeah. and I've not found this. Now, I'm not a bad researcher, so I should have been <laughs> able to find it. Right. It's got to be out there. And so it's... Um, Halloween. Now you got, got to understand. I spent may, like hours looking for this, like days mm. and days, like extended through time, through years. Okay. Couldn't find it. Halloween is an important day for me. Mm. It's an important day for Catholics because it's All Hallows Eve. Right. It, uh, Martin Luther, you know, uh, put the ninety-five theses on the door in Wittenberg and ignited the Protestant Reformation on yep. All Hallows Eve, Halloween. Super important day. Huge. So I'm sitting there. And my brother sends me um, the article. It was in this journal, this mountain journal. And he thought, he didn't know I was looking for this, nothing. So he sent it on Halloween. I felt pumped, right? Wow. Because every, you know, I'd been looking for it. But when I wasn't looking for it, it came to me on the most significant day of the Mm. year for me. And I thought, ah, that was a good joke, right? So that's, so when you're not looking for it, You know, or if you're sincerely wanting to know, I think that it's not like you're going to find it. And um, there's a great, great quote, by the way, by Kerry Mullis. And he mm-hmm. is the scientist who's the Nobel chemist who okay. discovered the polymerase chain re- reaction. And mm-hmm. he had that. He called it he called it a UFO event, but um, he described it being like an electric raccoon. OK, so um, I became friends with him. Okay. Um and he has, if you go to his website, it's 
he's got such a great description of creativity. And it's, it's the best. I've quoted it so many times. It's in my book, I believe. But um, I'll be quoting it again. And if any of you are interested in how I would conduct the research, how I would go about researching anything that I'm really super interested in, yeah, you did yeah. that quote and, and look at it and read it because it's, it's informative and transformative. <laughs> nice. What? She brought it right back around. There we go. I, Boom. I, I, if you're not busy, you can guess those next week. <laughs> no, with Skinwalker Ranch, we'll bring on. That's true. We'll yeah. bring on Diana for. Uh, we're yeah, having TJ the. Lord. Yeah. yeah, TJ. Okay, so, um, and I'm gonna try not to call you Doctor. Yeah, yeah. Call me Diana. Okay. Right now, I'm in Chin Mudra. All right. So, <laughs> um, what I was gonna ask you is. Um, you, I didn't think while reading the book that you're kind of like the real life Robert Langdon. <laughs> Is that am I am I right? <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I mean, I do know that um, when I wrote the book, I d- I honestly thought maybe ten people would read it. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a friend named Dave Metcalf. Um, he's a, one of the most brilliant people I know, and he and I were kind of talking about. It. I was sending the chapters. And, you know, I thought it was pretty darn theoretical. I was like, ah, it's going to go out there, but 10 people will get this book. 10 people. Mm-hmm. 10 people, sorry. <laughs> In the first 10 minutes, probably. <laughs> got that book. And so, um, and, you know, it was, uh, it didn't go like that. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't try to be, I'm just doing No, I, I, of course you're not. But it's, just, it's you know, I, it's like I want to go and have trace the rose line with you right now. Okay. Anyway, you know, back to I mean, I mean, when I was doing it myself, I was like, this is ridiculous. You know, the kind of thing that I'm doing is so, so ridiculous. Nobody's going to believe it. Mm. And in fact, it was true. Um, I, I published it with Oxford, which fact, you know, they fact check everything. So it's not like you can just publish with this press, right? So, um. Yeah, so I mean, I'd go with my friend Jeff Kripal and I. We'd go into a um, university and give a talk, and this is before the New York Times articles hit. Okay, okay. we'd go, we give a talk, and Jeff would do his thing, and everybody would just be awesome, so beautiful, you know, love it. And then I do my thing, and I talk about UFOs and Tyler and James, and literally people would look at me like I was a complete idiot. They were like, <laughs> "Don't you know that these people actually?" are fooling you. And I'm like, no, no promise. Jeff knows them, you know? And, you know, so I would right, like, <laughs> I would be so um, disrespected, you could call mm, it, like yeah. everywhere until the, until Leslie and Ralph uh, published those in New York Times. Yeah. After that, they were calling me. Right, so, right, exactly. She's like, yeah, how you like that? Now you That's read it in right. the New York <laughs> Times. Don't laugh at me. That's right. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that and that gets to my point. I guess my question, and I and I brought that up because when people knew that we were going to have you on, I had so many people reach out to me that were like, "Can you ask her about insert secret whatever it is?" You know, so you become identified as a person who is, you know, more intimately connected or closer to the the point of revelation, if we can put it that way, uh, than than others may be than the average, you know, sort of ufologist or person, or whatever whatever that might be. So. People are looking to you and people like uh, Lou Elizondo and Chris Mellon and these other insiders, quote unquote insiders, you know, for uh, this sort of uh, higher knowledge, you know, so higher truth. And I just wonder how you kind of process that or 
Um, what's a better way to think about it, uh, you know, from someone who's on, who's on the inside or has been at least a little bit on the inside from others' perspective? Yeah, okay, I can give a better framework if you are interested in that. And it's yeah. this. I don't believe in an insider situation. Okay. Um, obviously, when it was secret, right, when yeah. Tyler um, was part of these programs that were secret, okay, mm -hmm. and that I kind of stumbled upon. I didn't know they existed, um, had no clue. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, now we know they exist. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that, uh, hmm. I don't know that, I mean, li listen, there are, there are so many different layers of being on the inside. Right. Because, even Tyler, I mean, that's why I described it as a fight club, because there were so many different types of, I knew so many different types of insiders who didn't know each other and mm -hmm. could never talk to each other. Right. Um, I had to lose friendships because people that I knew couldn't be associated with other people because wow. of their, because of what they did. And they said, and they would put it, you know, just frankly, if you associate with that person, I can never talk to you again. Wow. Very seriously, nothing personal. Mm -hmm. Just so. Um, is that the stove piping? Is that what we hear? Like it has to be rigidly yes. maintained. Yeah, yeah. And um, one of the people told me this because I did. I was learning. You know, I'm an academic. That's why I put in my book. I hope people get that part in my book where I spend some time talking about the different ethics of different mm -hmm. communities, and I talk about the Fight Club ethics of the people with clearances. And then the ethics of people like me who are non-clearanced people who are just professors stumbling upon this. Right. And um, I think that, you know, we share our sources, mm -hmm. but they could not and still cannot in my interpretation. So I know yeah. that there's a lot of um, like, for want of a better word, you know, disclosure going on or whatnot, you know, this kind of, at least, at least now my work is not, suspect because yeah, before right, it was right, right? and now it's not thankfully um and i would be i would suggest that the fight club still is in process there is still a fight club okay. um i would also suggest that um talking about it like i did in my book doesn't give you keys mm. <laughs> just because you know it's fact, there doesn't give you an invitation yeah no no in mm. fact it um it does the opposite. Hmm. Interesting. And, and that's and, fine. That's good. Because like I said, there are so many, listen, a person should not have to have endured a lot of the kind of strange things that happened um, just because they are doing research, you know, and yeah. then they come out and they wrote this book that honestly, they didn't think people, you know, I mean, academics, their books generally aren't read a lot by the general population. And so when that did happen to me and my book did arrive right at the moment when boom, it all kind of um, spilled out, um, you know, it's like I needed to get away from the fight club, you know, because uh, that's an intense place to be. Oh, yeah. I imagine it is. Well, it, let me go, go ahead, please. I was going to say, um, if you were to put a rank order on things that you research, where would ufology land on that if you were to give it a one to ten rank? Where would, because obviously you're researching 
several different things in the course of your work, I'm sure. Where would you rank ufology in terms of importance to you? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so I'm doing a book, I'm doing, you know, re research. And sometimes two books can come out of your research, right? Mm -hmm. And so what I'm looking at right now and what I kind of started looking at with American Cosmic were um, basically scientists who are hooked into some radical, for want of a better word, woo. Mm -hmm. Okay? Like radical woo. Yep. Read Carrie Mullis's book and you'll see. Okay? Um, so people who are getting knowledge that, that is coming from sources you know, knowledge that's not coming from sources that people think scientists right. would pay attention to. Conventional means. And, um, and I noticed that it wasn't just these people I was talking to currently. It was also the history of the space program. Mm -hmm. And it was also the history of science. Yeah. <laughs> so much so that in the talks that I gave at universities, afterwards we'd go out to dinner, and inevitably there would be the history of science people, okay? Mm -hmm. And this is a whole field. It's called the history of science. Right. And I would say to them, who's going to write the book called the history of unorthodox science? We need that book. Right. Like you write it. Right. And everyone would say, absolutely. That is the book we need right now. Nobody's written it yet. And I was um, I was talking to um, and do you know, Evan Weiss, he does uh, true stories and science podcast. No. So. I was talking to him about it and he said, you better write this book because I'm going to write it if you don't. And I was right. like, you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I, I'm starting tonight. <laughs> well, it, it, it reminds me of the, the drunk history episodes on history channel. Like, uh, where they go oh, yeah. the unorthodox it histories. Yeah. You know? yeah, it is. It's very yeah. much like that. So yeah. it's, um, so I'm going to be talking about these scientists like Tyler and James who are doing remarkable things. And some of them, you know, like Johann Kepler, right. Yeah. And these guys from way back and, um, and even women today, there will be women, you know, who are going to, who I'm going to feature and they're amazing. They're doing, they're scientists, but mm -hmm. they are, you know, at the heart of what they're doing is something incredible. What, what we would study in religious studies, that's what they're doing. They're doing like what I would say is a mysticism. They're doing some type of mysticism. Yeah. So I would say that ufology fits right below that. Because um, to come back to your question, I know that was a long answer. Um, but, you know, I mean, that's what I found when I went to look at UFOs, right? I, I found scientists from back in the day. And even like in my in the history that I do is Catholic history, doctors of the church, right? Mm -hmm. um, Teresa Babila, you go, you know, these are brilliant people. You go back and you look at what they've written and what they've done. And there is some very weird stuff going on there, even with little beings and things like that. So, right. you know, even with electric raccoons. Yeah. <laughs> of all things, that was on Super Mario at some point. Um, so, yeah, so <laughs> this makes me think of uh, the, the phenomenon seems to produce like mysterious moments that are out of like reach of conception. And it's almost like the very existence of those moments is the catalyst to to pro production of some kind it's a yes. it's the, yeah. the the flame that lights the the wick or whatever it is so and john keel talks about that too in, in his uh, control system you know sort of hypothesis so is that what we're talking about Do you think that 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 it, what it's doing is actually creating the, these moments of inspiration of, of it's like luring us into technological development in some kind in some way yeah that's a really good question um so First, 
it's a, it's deep, right? So I don't know, okay? But I can speculate, True. and so I have a lot now. I have a lot more friends who are in academia, you know, who are academics, and who we spend a lot of time talking about this, right? And just thinking about it, you know, waking up in the middle of the night, writing stuff down, sending it over text or email the next day, you know, freaking each other out, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And um, one person in particular. I'm not going to say his name because he is uh, he's at a top he's at a top university, but the, there's still a stigma attached to this research. Okay. Um, but this person focuses on synchronicity, mm-hmm. and um, okay. So <laughs> what's weird is that um, yeah. So what I'm beginning to think about is that it looks to be like. It's like an event type thing, right? Mm-hmm. So synchronicity is an event, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So if it's an event, it has to do with time, okay? Mm-hmm. And then I think it, and so this person informed me, uh, his idea is this, because I can't ascribe it to me. I didn't come up with this. Um, his idea is this, and he actually has to cite someone else too, and I can't remember who that is. Um, I might get his permission and give you a link. Okay. Um, and read his uh, uh we're, we're citing in chicago 17th edition on the show just <laughs> so you know okay Thanks. yes ma'am manual style yes um so you know we tend to um we tend to think of time as linear because that's mm-hmm. how we experience it sure. but what if you're experiencing another form of time it's through synchronicity mm. right so these uh, so time is mm. coming to us in different ways and synchronicity is the experience of that and yeah. so um, mm-hmm. I tend to, and you asked about the control system. Um, I tend to think of it almost like, you know, okay, so um, Jacques Vallée, I think he's got this up on YouTube. I've seen him talk about it in person many times. This idea that uh, synchronicity is just like, it would like, you know, consciousness is like a Google search, right? So we're kind of, mm-hmm. you know, there's this technological metaphor there, you know, you, sure. you put stuff out there and it comes back to you. I tend to think of it more like this. So, we have we definitely search and if we search that's the language of an algorithm so in a sense it's almost like a sentient type of algorithm Mm. like an algorithm that is so incredibly internal to us knows us better than ourselves well heck that sounds like god right Mm -hmm, right. that kind of language right that's that's like weird and it's like an algorithm that you know gives us what we need to see here if we're open to it Right. And it's an uncanny experience, for sure. Right. Well, you, you touched on this recently, and I forget which show it was, but um, the, talking about uh, Pierre Tejard de Chardin, and I, I, I remembered that, that back from my seminary days, and I was like, oh, let's look at that one more time. But the idea of the new, the new sphere, and um, yeah. I was wondering if you could speak to both the, the notion of the new sphere as well as his concept of the omega point, and maybe kind of unpack that for folks. What is the new sphere? What are we talking about? It, does it exist or will it exist from, from Deschardins standpoint? Yeah. So for uh, folks who don't know who he is, he's well worth looking into Deschardins. So he was a Jesuit French, he was French Jesuit priest and in the Catholic church, obviously, or wait, was he a priest or a monk? I can't remember. I think he was a priest, but it doesn't matter because he was also an anthropologist and a scientist. Right. But even more interesting than that, he was in the military. (laughs) He went, I think it was like, he did it all yeah that's right he was he was a medic i think yeah yeah he was just this incredible human being right and so he was at on the front 
and it was you know in battle and he felt the, the this idea of the new sphere so it wasn't it was actually a tangible idea for him mm. so he was in battle um he saw people getting killed and you know so but he was in this ener- what he described as an energetic field mm. and he it all came cuz he was really brilliant he was able to articulate this and see it as our future yeah. and he said that there will be a it you know we have like this sphere we have a biosphere you know and so he says this thing called the newosphere when basically it's almost as if he was talking about the internet right. but it was a psychic internet okay mm-hmm. which by the way is kind of strange because Jacques Vallée's early work in the 1970s was specifically about that right, right? and so um well that's fascinating to me especially people's own experience with technology as as being that you know is kind of being something like a, a medium for or even um you know something that helps them you know they even have what i call synthetic synchronicities mm-hmm. synchronicities where you know obviously if your phone is listening to you you'll get stuff that you've been talking about but what right. happens when you just think about stuff and it comes mm-hmm. up you know right I mean, creepy <laughs> but it happens it happens so much to people um that um it, it causes me to think a lot about hmm, what's going on is the newosphere actually more here than we think it is and so right. um another person that is um kurzweil is uh yeah, red kurzweil. yeah so the singularity is an is like a 20th century take on the newosphere mm. um and the omega point for Deschardins is this idea that it's actually religious and spiritual. Right. And if you read Ray, I've written about this. <laughs> if you, <laughs> if you read Ray Kurzweil's singularity, it's the, the book, um, yeah. the beginning of it, the first chat, the introduction, the first chapter, it's so incredibly spiritual. It just drips with spirituality when he says, I felt it before mm-hmm. I knew it. I mean, that's yeah. Deschardins right there. Right. Um, yeah. So, um, so there's something very fascinating about those two that your um, listeners might want to check out. Yeah, for right. sure. Um, DJ, you had you had a follow up, I think. Yeah, is is on the last one. But what I was going to ask you, ma'am, is um, how often, like, uh, d- does your hypothesis evolve? Like, so if you have in a typical week, or maybe it's it's on a month, uh, on a monthly basis, where you start to contemplate the phenomenon as a whole. And how often do you have a new hypothesis and say to yourself, wow, Diane, I never thought about that one. That's something I need to concentrate on or something. Um, that, how often? Right. So um, what I find is that when you actually talk, you know, when you, you, you're engaged in doing the, the research, say you're talking with other people about it, or you're actually sitting down and you're, you have to write something up because you have to give a talk or something like that. That's when it happens. That's when something that happened with American Cosmic. So I was I was struggling with every single chapter before it happened. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to say. You know, I don't know what's what's going on. And then I would, you know, and this would go go on for like two or three weeks. And I would be, um, you know, it would like terrorize me. Mm-hmm. And then finally I would sit down and I would and it would be in a coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> and I would just boom, you know, it would start to come out. And then what I wrote was like, it, it wasn't even mine. That's how mm. I felt about it. Wow. I felt like it was speaking to me. And I was like, wow, what, what's going to happen next? 
and I would write the next and go, wow, that's, that's so amazing. Cool. Yeah, that's incredible. That's and a lot of musicians say that about their about their songs, you know, that they they're not sure where they came from, that they have an experience of it as if it's not of them, them themselves. Yeah, so that it's autonomous. Yeah. And it's um, it it's basically it's very a very strange thing. Yeah. So that's what happens, DJ. So, yeah. So, um, you know, very rarely does it come when I'm just sitting there cogitating, thinking, you know, mm -hmm. no, no, it has to, you have to actually be doing something, I think, for it to happen. Right. No, definitely. And talking about this idea some more. So where this noosphere, this, uh, sentience, this sort of the permeate, they may permeate reality itself. Do we have a sense in which the phenomenon that we're hearing about observing and all of its varieties and so many different things that it seems to manifest as that it is utilizing us as a means for its own manifestation. Oh, Nathan went there early. He went there early, man. I love it. <laughs> Are we conduits creating a portal for its existence? Existence. Hmm. So, okay. Um, so first there are okay so there are like i always have to put it back and like reframe your question yeah so that um, because i find that people have a lot of assumptions when they have questions sure and i have to take those assumptions and say wait a minute you know you've got this here we've got to address right. we've got this there we have to address okay so in one sense i would have to say that this sounds kind of like ai right yeah. ai is creating itself through us and we are doing it <laughs> right. so i would have to say that that seems kind of true um but i don't i don't necessarily say we're unconscious in doing it mm. um, that's why i go back to oh this is this is actually a synchronicity because i just saw this the other day um i there is a great black mirror episode okay. um and i saw it a long time ago and i thought wow whoever did this Red Heidegger. <laughs> so, you know, Martin Heidegger <laughs> yes. wrote a lot about, so I use Martin Heidegger in American Cosmic and a lot of my work and philosophers gen generally hate the guy. Um, but he's fascinating because he was another one of these people that kind of predicts what technology, what, what technology means, right? And how it's not, you know, people tend to think that they could put it down mm -hmm. and that they're not somehow in it already. Right. You know, we really are. We can't escape. Mm -hmm. um, and so he saw this, right, in the 1930s and 40s. And he said, whoa, this okay. is going to be like the Catholic Church was mm -hmm. for, you know, Western culture. Yeah. This is it. It's a new era, basically called an epoch. It's a new okay. epoch, right? Yep, yep. So, um, okay, so in that sense, you can't put it down. It's not, you know, it's Prometheus, right? So it's mm -hmm. like the myth of Prometheus alive right now. Okay, so, um, yeah, I don't necessarily think that there's a dualism, mm. that, 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 that your question has an assumption of a dualism, mm. right? So it's, it's separate from us. Sure. I don't know if it is. Of when, when we say it, there's another assumption, is that it's one thing. <laughs> Correct. That's right. <laughs> the phenomenon right. is one thing. I mean, I frankly think that whatever goes on at um, Skinwalker Ranch is absolutely different than Tic Tacs. Yeah. Yeah. They're not the same thing. 
and but both not both, connected. What's that? No connection. Um, I, in my opinion, um, no, I, w I would say no. Okay, fair enough. There might be, I mean, I could be completely wrong though, but what I'm trying to say is that, um, you know, Tic Tac is not space. I mean, when I say space based, it's not a place mm. where a Skinwalker Ranch is like localized to a specific place. Which, by the way, I think is pretty interesting because when I did go to the Vatican and Tyler and I did a lot of assessment of uh, events, kind of like not just like Virgin Mary apparitions, but also uh, alleged UFO contacts. And what we did was we did a lot of like analysis of the places, like mm -hmm. metals in the ground, um, you know, uh, meridian, stuff like that, right? Sure. So... Um, and what we found was pretty interesting. We found that there were specific, there were patterns to those places. So I think that, you know, space, when I say space space, I don't mean like space up there, but a place, an actual location. Right. I think that some locations are um, interesting. Yeah. yeah I, I was going to say, uh, I agree with you, by the way. I, I hold Tic Tac in a very special place for the... Uh, sort of aviation-related reasons, things that it can do and how it does it. And I know how we do it, and I saw what that did, and I can think in my mind what would it take to make a craft that looks like that do what it did. So that all aside. Grant Cameron, though, when listening to him yesterday, he uh, he said to me that – or not to me, excuse me. He was on his podcast and, and – theorizes that there is a that everything's connected so i didn't think they were connected to me it seems like that there's a certain energy uh at, at skinwalker that's in and of itself is a, is a different sort of a paranormal supernatural phenomenon and then in and with tic tac we're dealing with an intelligence that's either born of here or elsewhere you know who knows um the other question Man, I can't remember the other question I was going to ask you. So I'm going to let I'm going to let Nathan jump back into it and I'll see because uh, I think it was related to the last thing that you guys just talked about. I'll let you guys jump back in and then if I remember it, I'll come back. Yeah, please do. Um, are you familiar with the Philip experiment? It's uh, this uh, paranormal. I think it was a bunch of Canadian uh, folks oh, that yeah. were um, paranormal. They sat together and created That's a fictional right. person, and then That's it ended right. up. Yes, I am aware of that. That sounds answers. I don't think I'd want to try that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I, I, I come back to that idea quite quite often, and I wonder to what degree do does human consciousness uh, in, in a collectivist aspect, you know, not just maybe one individual consciousness, although we've talked about already about how an individual consciousness may be able to tap into this, whatever it is. But when you collectivize it, when you have more than one mind, where two or three are gathered, to borrow a Christian phrase, mm -hmm. um, that it, it serves as a way of, of uh, giving birth to, you know, so, something that, that is almost like egregoric. You know, it's like it li lives apart from the minds themselves and is its own thing. Right. In, I think it's Tibetan Buddhism that has the tulpas that um, people create these these thought forms that then exist independently of them. So they're in religious traditions, there's some, you know, there is this tradition. Um, <clears throat> I absolutely think that 
you know, we aren't just minds, we're body minds, right? So I think that if you get, I mean, there is a lot of when I felt it many millions and millions of people, billions, most likely, Mm. um, you know, they, they, if you go to like, let's take, I just taught a class and we spent some time talking about, um, the goddess festivals in India, right? Mm. Where millions of people, people could be at these festivals, all, you know, worshiping Durga or, or some feminine aspect of Brahma, right? And there is energy there. I mean, you can feel it. And, Mm. you know, so, um, yes, I've uh, been in many gatherings of different kinds of people, um, either in churches or, you know, when I was younger in California, new age gatherings where, you know, there's a thousand people. And, you know, um, I was a person who um, was is old enough to have attended one Grateful Dead concert right at the end, right where, you nice. know, before Jerry Garcia and, and um, I was dragged to it. And then, my goodness, it was so amazing that I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, I have to do this again. And then Jerry Garcia, you know, passes away. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, that's for sure. That, that absolutely happens. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that, I mean, that's why I think that right now technology and UFO belief is so fascinating. Because, I mean, what I'm trying to basically say, but I didn't, I don't think I really articulated it loudly enough, is that, we're going to be having these experiences now en masse because we're all going to be watching it on TV. We're going to be watching it on our computer screen. We're going to be watching it on our phones, all of us. What is that going to do to us? Right. Buy toilet paper. Um, I, <laughs> well, I, just remember, yeah. I, I just remembered what oh, it, yeah, was. it was. It was Nathan's prior question. I thought, and Nathan, please correct me if I'm wrong, because this mm-hmm. is kind of like to you, and then it'll be to Dr. Pasolka. Okay, sure. I think that I thought you were asking her if an intelligence is mm-hmm. is having an effect to make us act a certain way. I thought that's what you were asking, rather than the AI aspect of it. I think okay, you- that's like the CIA, absolutely. <laughs> no, I mean, what, 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 did I have your question right, Nathan, or was I yeah, wrong? So, right, okay. I guess. Wait, you're one, talking about a non-human intelligence. Correct. Yes, a non-human correct, intelligence correct. that that may serve as a, a a lure, like a like an anglerfish, you know, that is that is attracting us to it, and for us, it feels like we are making the discoveries. You know, we are creating the technology. Oh, yeah, got it. Even if they are synchronistic, or even if they come out got of the ether, or whatever we have this sense in which these are good things that we are discovering and they're, they're good for us generally. But what I'm getting at is, is it perhaps, are we perhaps creating the individual puzzle pieces that once finally, you know, complete unlocks, you know, sort of a, 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 a manifestation of whatever that NHI happens to be uh, that is more real than it is now. In other words, it needs us as its eyes, ears, arms, and legs for it to be manifest in the world. Yeah, this sounds like a Whitley Strieber. I've, no, no, no. I'm not not to dismiss it. I mean, really, yeah, no, no. And, um, There's a lot of laughing on this show, so it's all, yeah, part of the yeah, game. Free. Like yeah. Whitley Strieber says that he says that the more we mm-hmm. recognize it, the more it's going to be around. Mm. Or the visitors, he calls them the visitors. Yes, the more okay. we recognize them, the more they will be around. Um, like there's a saturation point we must reach at which it becomes more uh, present or real to the rest of us. 
Yeah, I think that um, this, okay, so um, let me think about that. See, the podcasts are kind of hard for me sometimes because people ask me these questions that are so deep and then I'm supposed to answer them. And <laughs> yeah, I was like, I have to go. think about that before we go. <laughs> yeah. Like, let me think about this. Um, so it's not like I haven't thought about that one, but I guess that it's been a while since I've thought about it. So, yeah. um, I guess it gets for me while, while you're thinking about it, it gets to me the issues of trust, right? So I have, and DJ, we've talked about this before. If we're dealing with a non-human intelligence and let's take a game of chess, right? So they are, let's say they're, they have a greater knowledge of reality, technology, whatever than we do. And we're playing a game of chess. Well, I understand the rules. They understand the rules, but they understand me maybe perhaps way better than I understand myself, or they understand uh, the nature of the chessboard or the pieces, or they have more information. It's not, in other words, it's a game we're not playing on equal footing. And so what are the things that I would be looking for in this relationship for me to trust that whatever it's offering me or whatever thing it is doing on the board is something that I can, uh, you know, have faith in or trust in that, that it is, it is part of the rules that we have agreed on and that it's actually, you know, part of the game and not some other game that it's playing that I'm on, I'm completely unaware of. How do you know you can trust it? It's basically, yeah. yeah. It boils down to that. Yeah. I think you guys can answer that. In contact, if, if you're making, if we're ma if yeah. I, I think what he's saying, if we make contact, Nathan's wanting to know, how do we know if there's, if, if we make contact that the interaction is genuine and that we're not being gamed and not aware of it? How do we know we could trust something that's so much more intelligent? I think that's what he's saying. Yeah. Okay. So I can only give you some answers through some things that have happened to me, like some experiences that I've had. Um. I don't look for that, okay? Mm -hmm. And once I once my book came out, I've had like, you know, whatever, a lot of people tell me, you know, um, especially one person in particular um, who was a good, seems a good friend, I've never met the person, but seems mm -hmm. a good friend of several people who I know and trust. And so this person sent me a few things where it, the person said to me, you can check me out. I'm, I'm a friend of so-and-so and so-and-so. I'm cool kind of thing, you know? And I was like, mm, okay. Sure. So I checked, I checked that person out and I'm like, okay, I'll correspond with this person. And then the, they sent me um, a couple of things where they said, you can actually con be in contact with the phenomenon. Hmm. And they, and so I was not really in I didn't want to be in contact with right. yeah. No, thanks. What <laughs> I'm kind of busy this afternoon. I, yeah. I'll I, check my calendar. <laughs> yeah, I've met a lot of people who are in contact with phenomena. I just don't want that right now, okay? Sure. And so, um, so then, you know, the person didn't give up and, and kept sending me this stuff and then sent me something that said, you must agree to this contact. And so I just started to delete every single, finally blocked everything sure. now you have to understand this person is among my friends right so wow. my friends are, and i said to them i'm not quite sure that this right. is open up yeah. <laughs> yeah and they were like whoa this person is so cool how can you think that okay. and i and i thought <laughs> i'm just not i'm just gonna not try to contact i'm not going to skinwalk a ranch you know if a yeah. person is seeing orbs i'm not gonna go check it out you know yeah. and so um i hate to tell you this but you know, people think that maybe I'm the person who's in contact. No, I'm not. Do I want to be in contact? No, I don't. 
Have you worn garlic around your neck for the express purpose of keeping them away? Yeah, but I, that I prayed before I went to the okay. donation site, remember? Okay. And I did <laughs> It's true. I saw yeah. what uh, I saw what you know, James's research. He showed Tyler and I the research before we went. And I mean, it was terrifying. And he is a person who is wanting to create something like a drug that will interface so that we it can only be in contact with humans on human terms instead wow. of terms. So you've got to see there's a lot there that's, um, that's no, yeah. don't want contact. Like, you know, a lot yeah. of the people and some people are in contact, seem fairly out of their minds, but seem to enjoy it. Mm. Don't want that either. Yeah. You're not going with Anjali out to the mountain and trek out there and do the oh, no. eight foot tall. No. Okay. You'll be happy to study it after the fact, but, uh, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not even going to study. That's great. Well, it makes me think of, um, I'll say this and then we'll want to bring on a guest, uh, uh, questioner, but, uh, I don't know if you've read the three body problem. Um, and I, I forget the name of the author, but it's a Chinese author. It's an excellent book. It's science fiction, but and I'm trying to spoil too much of the book. But essentially, part of the book is they discover that uh, some non-human intelligence has essentially kind of infiltrated uh, the Earth's uh, atmosphere or or space or reality in a way that it makes it very hard for humans to know that it's there. So it can kind of like see what they're doing and observe, and and so they 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 create an entire program designed specifically to obfuscate what they are really doing so that this intelligence is unaware of the schemes that the humans are doing to try to uh, protect them themselves because essentially like they're on the way <laughs> like you know, they're they're light years away they're on the way we know how long it's going to take them to get into our, our galaxy or whatever we have time to prepare but they are observing us as they're approaching so we, we create this entire structure to like you know juke it i don't know if you if... wow <laughs> yeah well, sometimes when I'm overweight, I feel like I have a three-body problem. So I don't know that I want to read this <laughs> Boom. book. Boom. <laughs> there you go. That's Dude, great. Yeah, so about this trust thing. Um, no, I'm not going to trust it. Right. Sorry. You're on board. So that It's really interesting because yeah. Nathan and I have been talking about his hypothesis on the phone for like a month, and we brought it up. And I'm sure that he's been wanting to ask you this question. Yeah. So. Awesome. Oh, yeah. I, I hope I haven't dashed your hopes or anything. No, he's no. in agree. He's in 100% agreement with no, you. No, I mean, like, I, I want to talk to, for example, I'd like to talk to some game theorists, right? I would like to talk to the to people who think about these uh, asynchronous or uh, asymmetrical relationships, relationships and how we would be able to establish trust in, in asymmetrical relationships because that will be the position that we have with whatever this happens to be that is non human. Mm hmm. It's like uh, the 92 Dream Team when they played Angola in basketball. Asymmetric relationship, no trust in the in the after, you know, locker room party that they had. No. Completely. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, so why don't we uh, we'll switch gears real quick. We've got a person okay. that we'd like to bring on uh, who's a fan of the show and they wanted to ask a question. Um, and so Mark, I'm going to put you on on stage real quick uh, with them. Hey, what's going on, Mark? Hey guys, how's it going? Good. How well, you welcome. doing, brother? Welcome. Really well. Thanks thanks for having me. Uh, Pleasure, Dr. man. Selka, pleasure to make your acquaintance. Yeah. Um, I'm actually in the process of reading your book right now, American Cosmic, and uh, congratulations. It's a really fantastic book. Um, I, I, I highly recommend it for those uh, that haven't read it. You definitely should. Um, 
I'm about halfway through it right now, and um, I have a question for you. Um, it seems like your your hypothesis, your working hypothesis, is that we're at the precipice of having a new religion, um, a scientific religion um, that includes UFOs, UAPs, uh, whatever broadly uh, they may represent. Um, my question for you is, what is the what what is the 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 black swan moment? Who's the progenitor that's going to move this from being something that's talked about to a full-fledged religion? So we see that obviously in Christianity with Jesus, um, you know, directly with Yahweh and uh, Judaism, uh, Moses. Um, you know, we have you know, uh, you know, Siddhartha, uh, Gautama. Um, you know, so what? Who do you believe uh, would be? Um, significant enough to move this to the threshold and then pass the threshold of being a full-fledged religion? Great question. Okay, so what I'm going to ask you to do, though, is to bracket all of those, um, all of what you've learned about religion, right? Because you've talked about religions that have been that have emerged from personalities, mm -hmm. okay? Yes. And not, so Hinduism didn't really emerge from a personality. Um, so not all religions do, they're not, they are not focused on, you know, we've got the major religions like Islam, Buddhism, Christianity, obviously all focused on one person. Um, but this is, this is a new way. We're in a new epoch, right? So as Heidegger said, um, we're new. We're in a new game-changing infrastructure, and so here I have I have that person. It's this right here. Okay, it's this <laughs> is what is gonna is is the game changer. And what I mean by that is that kind of what I talked about earlier is that a lot of people are convinced when they have these amazing experiences and events like a contact event. Okay, when a person experiences say the Virgin Mary coming down, uh, like a hierophany, okay? So the, the god or the goddess comes down to earth and people witness it and it's this amazing um, hierophany, which is sacred event on earth, then that people talk about and that's what becomes kind of religion, okay? So um, right now what we're all doing is we're all witnessing the Galileo Project. We're all witnessing the New York Times breakthroughs, we're all witnessing in my own little way, American Cosmic, right? And what happened to Tyler and James. And we're all witnessing this through this podcast on our computer, on our phone, through um, media, okay? Mm -hmm. It's media itself and we tend not to give it agency. We tend just to think of it as a byproduct or a tool, mm -hmm. but it is it. So it is the Jesus. Yeah. So it's the medium is the the medium and the proliferance of it is is the Jesus because it is on those all these different devices. Yeah, because we're all experiencing it in real time at the same time. So we're all getting the same information. We're all experiencing, you know, think about when uh, those New York Times stories hit. I mean, that was quite amazing. I mean, it was electrifying. Like people like, you know, you're you, maybe talk about your high school friends who think you're weird now for talking about UFOs. Well, they don't anymore, right? Yep. Because it, oh, it's on the New York Times. Right? 
And, you know, so it becomes the, uh, you know, I think we should all go and rewatch 2001 A Space Odyssey mm -hmm. because Kubrick had it absolutely right. And he was talking about, I mean, look, this is the monolith, right? So he was yep. talking about the monolith. And um, what was the monolith? Well, it's this. So right. that, I, so he was really correct. Speaking of which, I think I saw a text there from Alex Dietrich. She was saying, eject, eject, eject. I'm just kidding. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's, it's this uh, sense in which the, like, the ritualization uh, and the uh, official medium, like, uh, uh, acknowledgement is the is the spawn the birth of the religion itself it's not the it's not the uh, initial experience it is it is what we do to try to recreate the experience through the act of ritual uh or uh the approximation of the experience itself like it, it's it's when, when we start codifying it in that way that we are really forming a system well i think that andy warhol is actually helpful here because andy warhol in the 60s kind of took stuff that was of everyday reality and recreated it ad nauseum. Mm, and yep. in a sense, what was his, what was the art? Where was it? it there was so much of it and yeah. he recreated it. But I, that's what I want to say here about, you know, we're not, it's not this one event that happens. Mm -hmm. it, it's this thing that's happening. There's no like this one kind of hierophany. It's this continuous, you know, um, X-Files episode or Black Mirror. keeps going. Yeah, exactly. It and it keeps, keeps going because the technology is now we never turn it off. We have a vehicle that we didn't have because I couldn't send smoke signals to Nathan in North Carolina about what was going on. If you didn't know that person or correspond them with by letter, then you couldn't. But now we can do this like you're saying. We could do it all day long, all night long. That's mm -hmm. right. And in fact, it will go if it's being recorded. It will be going, you know, kind of like the, there's no end to it. Right. Good point. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious, I'm, I'm curious. Um, so, so you, um, so, so there needs to be some sort of, you know, fundamental structure to support all of these objective experiences. Um, so you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, Mary, uh, just last week I was in Israel. I had a chance to actually go to, uh, the, uh, the church of the Annunciation and, you know, apparently see the, the the grotto where that had happened uh, where the the angel Gabriel came down and visited Mary to make the declaration about Jesus it's the same angel Gabriel that made the same dec declaration to Muhammad um, and you know so you you have these these different subjective experiences um, that have to have some sort of uh, formal structure that's built so I'm curious um, once the declaration is made and you have all of these collective subjective experiences globally, um, you know, where is the, the, the skeleton of this uh, religion? How would it, you know, how would it evolve? Yes. Yeah, so we're inside that skeleton at the moment. So we're, you know, it's like we're within, we're within technology now. Yeah. We're all virtual talking to each other so i'm trying to i'm trying to explain that the the way of looking at it you know there's it's a new form of religion it's not a new religion and when i say religion i'm talking about uh the elements of religion so i'm talking about a belief system mm -hmm. um a belief system that has spiritual connotations so you know a lot of people 
first, you know, we've not seen, just like we had, we, you know, a lot of atheists will say, give me evidence of God and I'll believe. Well, you're like, (laughs) 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 so give me evidence of a UFO and I'll believe. Okay. Well, all of a sudden, you know, for the, for the longest time, everybody's like, I can't do it. Can't do it. And then, you know, I come along and I say, whoa, these people think they have evidence. Okay. And then the New York Times articles come along and they say, oh, yeah, we have, we've got evidence. Right. And so there's this, but we still don't know. And where's the evidence? And so what I'm trying to say here is that um, it sure does look like belief in something that we can't prove, that we don't have evidence for, yet it's a robust belief. And it's right. getting institutional backing say here with, you know, obviously and um, with the June 25th Pentagon military report that comes out and says, yes, you know, just like it did in 1952. Yes. You know, we, there are these things um, and we do want to study them. And now money is, um, you know, the government is trying to get money together to study this. So that looks like institutional support akin to what has happened in the religions that you talked about earlier, because that's the formation of these religions. They start out rogue, Right. And then they become institutionalized by a powerful in, in a structure like a government generally. Like um, you're, you're in the place of worship yeah. right now. That's right. <laughs> well, wait, I'm going to pass out the tithing. <laughs> yeah. So you're so you're saying that. Um, let me hear. Make sure I'm hearing you correctly. That like the Constantine moment where it, it, it becomes the the state religion and it unifies the Roman Empire in a way that it, you know maybe hadn't been before, at least in a long time. Um, you know, I always viewed that, and maybe incorrectly, that you know, Constantine sort of sees an opportunity. You know, like, hey, like I've got some uh, something I can really latch onto. It's a monotheism, which is great because I can align like the state structure with uh, the monotheistic belief system, and I can be closer to the divine, and, and people will believe that I'm I've got the ear of, of God or whatever. Um, so you're saying that, um, that the state, in this instance, the the United States government, you know, may potentially uh, use this, uh, you know, ufology or the phenomenon as, as a, in a similar fashion as a, like a unifying worldview creation moment, if, if they kind of back it officially, is that, that they could then take advantage uh, of it? Okay, so I'm saying that this is the, this has, this is the, uh, these are the steps in the creation of a belief system like a religion. Indeed, this is the case. Okay, you can see it with Buddhism. Um, you can see it with Christianity. You can see it with Islam, right? Um, okay, so if that's the case, and it is, and I, and if we take that template and we stick it onto, you know, the 1940s, well, what happened there? You know, some strange things happened, and then there was a narrative, and that narrative was absolutely controlled, yeah. right? I mean, we yeah. know it. Project yeah. Blue Book. They, they, yeah. you know, even there's a lot that is still classified that we don't know and that's something we should talk about too um because as a researcher you've got if you don't talk about that you're not doing good research you've got to say i don't have access to these records because in this history because it's classified and the people who do uh, by the way dj the people who do air force history those historians are super honest because if you go to the history of the air force they just write frankly say yeah we can't tell you all the history but we'll tell you this much and the historians of the future will get the declassified stuff and we can then tell you what happened. <laughs> you know? I'm not afraid to be critical of, of the institution of my, uh, the institution I love. I, 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 I'm critical of myself. I'll be critical of them. 
Hey, you know, I mean, I'm sure they did it for a reason, right? So we're U.S. citizens and, you know, they, who knows what they did it for, but it, it's classified. And so, but there was also an education or um, kind of like a debunking um, that happened through Project Blue Book, right? Um, the Robertson panel suggested that the government engage in debunking of people, you know, basically to stigmatize this knowledge. Um, so if you don't see that, as the part of the structure of which I'm talking about, yeah. um, it's pretty darn clear. Um, is it still happening? I mean, let's hope that it is not happening now. Not to the right. level it was. So, so it's an interesting point that um, Nathan brought up about the Nicene Council. Um, you know, under you know, uh, you know, uh, the, the Roman rule, um, we were you know uh, forced to come up with the modern Bible as we have it today. Um, but, you know, it's doctrine. It was collected doctrine that needed to be consolidated. So I know that you um, have had, had access to a lot of folks that are in the know, quote unquote, in the know. Um, and uh, I'm curious, um, where do you think that this doctrine uh, for this new religion would be sourced from? Do you think it would be sourced from individuals or do you think it would be sourced uh, from the government or do you think it would be sourced from science? Okay, so that's a really good question. Um, did you guys like hand pick Mark to ask these questions? Yes, we actually we did. Yeah, very sophisticated yeah. question. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, so where is this going to be sourced from? Um, let me point out though that in the history of Christianity, and especially when the Council of Nicaea happened, um, a lot there were hundreds, maybe even a thousand different varieties of Christianity. Okay. And so the Constantine kind of pushed his form of Christianity backed by the bishops and they solidified and made dogmatic, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you had to believe this or we will burn your books, literally, okay? So, um, you know, there, so people basically, you know, that's, that's what happens. A lot of times then those varieties of Christian traditions are unknown and we don't know about them today. We do know about some. Um, did they survive? Uh, are there elements of those traditions that survived? Um, so yes, there are elements of those traditions that survived like Gnosticism and things like that. They survived in the monastic communities. And so, um, and we see that um, and people try to recover that now, why? Uh, because maybe there's something really interesting there that's not part of the domatic, I mean dogmatic uh, you know, interpretation of Christianity. So how does that apply to ufology or to UFO belief? Um, I think this is how it applies. I think that just as, you know, you can have your dogmatic institutional um, belief structure, do you know how many rogues people are going to be out there having their own contact experiences and doing their own science and doing their own things? Those are the people that are going to be truly exceptional, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, but those are not, you know, and I think that it's those people who, you know, they create the mutation, they create and the mutation in a good way, because right. you know, a lot of times the reason why we progress is because of mutations that are positive mutations. And so I don't think that it's, you know, I don't think a lot of people are going to be following the, this, the line of, you know, say, say for, uh, let's just say, because there's precedent for this that the government decides that it's the scientists within its own programs that are going to be the ones who are going to give us knowledge about UAPs and UFOs. Well, that's going to be a sure 
that's going to be very surprising for those people who already are having all these contact events, right? right. And it's, you know, and perhaps it's going to basically, um, people won't believe those people because they're not authoritative. They don't have PhDs. You know, they're not, you know, associated with, you know, the government in, in ways. And, but they're still having those experiences. It's, it's religion generally. That's what that's happens right. in religion generally. There's always going to be the people who are, consider themselves to be orthodox and those who are doing what's called unorthodox, you know, they're unorthodox. And exactly. um, I, guess, I guess that's what my research is about. You know, I happened upon a lot of the people who I consider to be quite unorthodox. Um, for scientists, they were. But they're, you know, they're ensconced within this white club type of uh, environment of UAP study. And, um, and there's lots of other people who make amazing discoveries who are not within that. Yeah, it's this valuable role that uh, like uh, dogma and orthodoxy and heresy play in the development of belief. Like they, they actually function, they're codependent and, and they influence. And so that, you know, heresies often over time become the, the new dogma, the, the, the new orthodoxy. So, you know, I think we'll see that in this space. We already are, we already do see it. We see it now. You know, there's this in our going in the community. It's often talked about, you know, we have the nuts and bolts people. We have the experiencer people and you know, which one has the truth with a capital T. And in fact, it's going to have to kind of be across all of these di different things. I guess that makes me want to switch to the last sort of topics I wanted to get into with you. And that, that is sort of these ontological models generally, you know, so when you're interacting with folks that were in the invisible college uh, or, or others that were, you know, really studying this very intent intently, did you see at all any sort of, um, recurring or common uh, sort of ontological belief systems that they shared about what, what it was or about their worldview more generally? Yeah, sure. That's a great question. Um, so it seemed to me that they were, well, you know, we're talking about people who are physicists, you know, and um, some astrophysicists, medical doctors, mm -hmm. um, molecular biologists, um, you know, so they're looking at phenomena that they could not, they couldn't understand it. Okay. So um, they had to come up with explanatory frameworks in order to describe what it was that they're looking at. And then, of course, you have very wealthy people who are interested in supporting that research because that's probably going to give them an edge. Mm -hmm. I guess that's what they're thinking. Right. Their motivations, I don't know. But that, you know, I found that there are a lot of very wealthy people who are interested um, in this. And so that can that means that there's like this privatized area of research that's not controlled by the government. And um, and then these then the government realizes that a lot of really interesting research is happening over here in this privatized area. And so it kind of tries to get in on it. Right. Mm -hmm. And does get in on it. And um so ontologically, then, I think that, I mean, personally, because I've had such a background in philosophy, I think that a lot of the ontological frameworks that people in the invisible college have, with the exception of maybe Jacques Ballet, um, they need to get, they need to kind of lose old frameworks and start to see that, you know, they, <laughs> I think that they need to see that perhaps ontologically, it's whatever it is that they're looking at is inherently meaningful because mm. we tend to think of matter 
and things as like inert without mm-hmm. meaning, mm-hmm. only meaning we ascribe to it. But it seems to me that whatever it is that we are studying, it seems to have some kind of innate meaning. And I think, and that's where it gets into this event because, you know, um, now remember I'm in, you know, I'm in a philosophy and religion department. So a lot of the conversations are about ontology and yeah. what is, you know, what are these, what is a theme? What is an object? Even, even Martin Heidegger has an essay called what is an object? <laughs> and once you start to break it down, heck, there is no thing there. Right. right. And so, things have to be things have to happen in time Mm. so whatever it is that we're studying this whole idea of synchronicity fits in there with it and if you get to the meaning of these things you begin to see wow you know there's some kind of intrinsic meaning to these events Mm. these event object things right so ontologically so i think that that so you asked me i guess nathan what were like the people in the invisible college what are they thinking in terms of what's the ontological being or framework of these of the phenomena i think that they don't know i think that they're questioning they're trying to figure it out and i also think that there is um the invisible college is like the second generation there's first generation 1940s 1950s second generation invisible college the people from the 1960s 70s maybe into the 80s and then we have fight club the fight club generation okay and so i think that um the people in the fight club generation are the ones who are um, more technologically sophisticated and understand kind of more the physics of today Hmm. and um and yeah so i think that things are a lot different so a lot of people ask me to introduce them to the invisible college, right? It happens all the time. It happens from people in Hollywood. It happens from students or like some people I don't even know email me and say, hey, I have this idea. Can you introduce me to some, you know, name a person in the invisible college? A lot of us know who they are already, right? Sure. It's not like they're invisible anymore. Right. Okay. Wait, Diana, can we just see your invisible college ID card or your, your swipe badge to enter the facility? Right. The Mine, can we see yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. So, uh, <laughs> all right. Um, uh, Nathan is going to make the call because there are people in the chat that, yep. that, that want to ask questions. That's going to be up to Nathan. Um, and I was going to ask a question about the invisible college, but we don't have a lot more time. So I want to uh, give those people the opportunity. Yeah, yeah I'm going to jump off. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, Mark, thank you, man. Mark, thanks for bringing a great question. Namaste, brother. Where's your hair? Can I see your hair? You look like Steve Jobs. There we go. Okay, all right, all right. You look like Steve Jobs tonight. All right, man. See, see you, Mark. brother. Thank Talk you. To you. Good job. Um, well, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I do want to ask you this because a lot of people wanted me to ask you about this. So it relates to ontological models, but it's about es- eschatological models, right? So, oh, of course, you know, yeah. we we know that the way in which we think, question. yeah, exactly. <laughs> we know that the way in which we think about the end, our own end, or the end of the cosmos, or whatever it may be, what the end of the story happens to be, the way people think about that influences the way we act in the present. Uh, and we also know, or we've heard, there are those who have some degree of connection to the phenomenon, either studying it or, or in agencies or whatever, have particular eschatological views that the phenomenon, they may be able to wield it or manipulate it or something to bring about an end time event. Uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts on, you know, this uh, notion generally and, and what model do you see most prevalent uh, in the thinking of those who are in the invisible college. 
Okay, so this is the Collins Elite question. Is this correct? Yeah, in a roundabout way, yeah. Right, right, okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, um, you got me. A lot of people discount this Collins Elite, right? And they say, oh, it's a made up thing, like mm -hmm. Nick Redfern or made it up or something like that. Um, I don't think so. Uh, so, basically, one of the weirdest things that I experienced was that. And every time it happened, I would just, I just didn't know what to think about it. Um, people within the Invisible College would like out themselves <laughs> as being incredibly religious. We're not talking like, oh, I go to church on Easter and Christmas. We're talking about absolutely fundamentally religious. Okay. And I was surprised. I did not know this. They, they're not out about it. Um, what does this mean? So I still, I mean, it, yeah, that, so that, that was, I mean, what does it mean? I don't know. All I know is that it, the, uh, the story is way weirder once you start to get to know the people who do this work and you cannot escape religion in this. You can't. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that because I'm a professor of religion. Because <laughs> right. frankly, I went into it as a professor, not as a person who's religious, right? Yeah. And and the more I had these experiences of people basically telling me, you know, pushing a book in my face and saying, you better read this, like mm. a history of Satan, basically. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. <laughs> I mean it was scary. Okay. No, I'm not kidding. Okay, Coffee so, table. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's disturbing, even yes. to me. Is it a vestige, though, of what they inherited from the, the prior generation, no, or is it it's no reinforced way. by what they are doing? No, I think that it is something that happens because of what they, they're, in do, they're doing. These are people who are incredibly intelligent, who most likely when they were in their 20s or they were going through college, they left their their religion, whatever it was, Catholicism, Christianity, whatever, um, Judaism, they left it, right? And became atheistic scientists and then had these experiences and then went back. Mm -hmm. I think, I don't know, frankly, but this isn't your normal practicing Christian or you know practicing religious person. We're talking about a person who goes to daily mass, you know, a person who lives and breathes it. Does that make sense? And I'm only, yeah, I'm only reporting this. I'm sure. not making a judgment and I'm not making any kind of like, I'm not trying to explain it. I don't know. Let's put it this way. This is like one of the biggest question marks that I have coming out of the research. Do you Same. fear the phenomenon? Do I fear it? Mm -hmm. Um, no, I don't fear it. I, I don't want, you know, I mean, I'm not going to be accepting, yes, I want contact with NIA. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Right. But, you know, I think that it's been here. I mean, whatever, like I said, there, there's not just one phenomenon. Right, but right, right. Talk about these, you know, you know, beings like non-human intelligent beings that, you know, almost every religion refers to. It's, they've been around since human history. You know, what's interesting is we're going to get through some of these questions, Diana, and I think with the amount of time we have left, I think <laughs> we're going to have room for a part two, uh, to say the very least, because uh, I know Nathan probably had a considerable more. But I always like I always like leaving him wanting more. 
and uh, having a part two, uh, assuming you enjoyed yourself and you're not ready to just go tell your cat, I can't stand these guys. I'm never going to own them again. <laughs> so, all right. So let's get some from, <laughs> from William Edward. I'll read it uh, just to show Nathan that I can read because he's been wondering about this. Nope. Diana, do you think there's a thread of evil in the fabric of UFOs and their occupants versus the tapestry of angelic saviors narrative? Question mark. Okay, so, yeah, I actually talk about this in American Cosmic where um, James and I um, are heading to the airport and Tyler just after being in New Mexico, and we're going to leave, right? And he's telling me about the research going on at Skinwalker. And he's basically saying, you know, Diana, if you were studying this, you know, 50 years ago, we would be calling these things angels and demons. That's what he said. And I think I have to agree, well, at least with respect to Skinwalker. Skinwalker. Now, That's, with respect to Tic Tacs, I don't know. But there are people who had those experiences on the ships, like the Roosevelt mm -hmm. and stuff, who have had some pretty bizarre experiences that seem fairly um, epic. Yeah. But I think there are emotional responses to something they can't explain because when you the personality types of the individual seem to inform what their reaction was, you know, because Dave and Alex, Alex is like, Oh, I'll have a cup of coffee. She's joking about it. Whereas Kevin day was like, Oh, I think I need therapy about this or Sean. So mm -hmm. I think it, I think it's individual when you're looking at a technology and you're coming to the terms with the fact that that's not human made. That's right. not 21st yeah. century human. That thing is doing things that, from an aviation standpoint, from a physics Bernoulli's theorem standpoint, I didn't think were possible. That's absolutely the case. Yes. So, all right, let's bring in the next one. What do you got, Akashi? For Dr. Pasolka, we got six minutes left with this lady. Na Na oh, okay. How's it going? NATH. Was Diana surprised that the government insiders, Invisible College, Fight Club, Military Industrial Complex had such complex belief systems based around the phenomenon? Um, I'm not sure I understand the question, but I'm going to try to dig into it. So um, first, <laughs> I think first I was surprised that there was such an entity um, or entities because there are different factions of like the, the yeah, of, uh, you know, that, I mean, I hear, I'm just, I was just a, you know, a fairly, I guess, naive professor just going about my life, you know, getting tenure, doing this, right, publishing, and then all of a sudden, boom government is doing UFO stuff. And I'm like, whoa, am I in the X-Files? Like, what, you know, what's going on? <laughs> right. And um, and then, wow, it gets really deep. And um, that sounds pretty Californian, but it's true. <laughs> so, yeah, so was I, was I surprised? Definitely, yeah. Rick Doty told us on air, Diana, that um, he said to us, and I quote, I've seen and read some reports or seen some things that really scared me, and I don't scare easily. And when you look into his background, you know that he was a combat controller uh, and then got out, went into academia, was a teacher, came back as a special agent with OSI. When you look at the guy and he doesn't blink when he's looking at you, you know he doesn't scare easily. So there's certainly some things out there that I think uh, those in the – and Lou, Lou Elizondo has alluded to some very scary things. Um, also that John Ramirez. So people that have seen actual reports that the government holds as true – have had the, the poop scared out of them in some measure. I have a question from Deb that I have to ask because Deb is our, oh, 
All right, Deb, I'm going to ask your first question, and then you get the second question because you're part of our show and we love you. Um, from Deb, I asked DJ to ask how people can access info from the Invisible College Think Tank. I think I know what the answer is going to be. Go ahead, uh, uh, Diana. Um, how can they access info from the Invisible College? Mm-hmm. Um, some of it actually gets out there, uh, although they're not going to put their names on it, right? And if they do put their names on what gets out there, it will be peer-reviewed articles, and they won't have the word UAP or UFO in them. Okay. And Deb's second question, please, since she's part of our uh, part of our team. What can the public access in order to make progress? Uh, so she is a researcher of she scours through open source information uh, everywhere. Uh, so I think that's the context of this question. Oh, th- okay. She if she does not know this. Um, Deb, right? Deb. Yep. Yeah, Deb. Um, you should go to this conference at Rice in Houston, um, and I, it's in the spring. I'll be going there, and it's basically the opening of the Archives of the Impossible, which Jeff Kripal, who is a professor there, has um, basically has archives from so many researchers who are in the Invisible College, some who are not, but should be um, basically this amazing body of research, including our, uh, Jacques Vallée's collection, um, like just people that are have been doing this for many, you know, just many years. And so this archive is is going to be open to a re- someone like her that's interested in the research. And the best thing about rice, it's gluten free. So I think everybody should consider <laughs> that. Um, so it's up. Nathan, did you have a. Uh, okay, so Nathan says he's good. So please, uh, if you would, Akashi, this is from Harley492. Lots of experiencers that claim to have face-to-face contact with the visitors say that the visitors are frustrated because humans destroy this planet over and over again. Do we as humans get a do-over, Miss Diana? No. <laughs> Fortunately, yeah. Uh, I think you're right. We're all environmentally uh, conscious on this program, so. Yeah, well, I, I can't, I know I, I, DJ would say the same, but we are uh, beyond thrilled to have had you on the show. Um, you've helped us think through some of these things in ways that, you know, these have been super beneficial to me. Um, the interpretive lens, uh, I think, has been widened, and I really appreciate that. And uh, I hope you had a good, good time as well. We try to cut up a little bit here. Uh, we do keep it a little more serious. But, yeah, we, we look forward to uh, having an opportunity to chat with you again in the future, hopefully. Sounds awesome. Yes, uh, I agree. I, I, I say that it's an honor when anybody wants to come on and talk with us or invites us to talk with them. And, it, and I do mean that. And, yeah, it's extremely special uh, when it's a person uh, like yourself who uh, we consider brilliant and, and, quite frankly, we look up to. So, um <laughs> So thank you very much. So for uh, for Deb, who's in the back, that's uh, at a study of UAPs for our associate producer, Akashi Chris, and for Greer's Flair, <laughs> Flarius Kevin, and for Nathan, this is DJ's, and uh, Dr. Pasolka, this is DJ saying, peace out, one love, and we'll see you down the road. <laughs> peace, y'all. Bye.